This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so glad that you joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday, but today being Friday means two really important things. One, the weekend is on its way. That means the Lord's Day is right around the corner. I hope you have plans to spend time in the house of God with the people of God to lift up the name of God. We do better when we are in fellowship with other believers, so make sure you uh, are in church this Sunday. I know I may sound like your mom or your dad, but I'm telling you, it's the right thing for you to do. And I also pray that you won't show up alone, invite someone with you. But today being Friday also means that we are one step closer to November. And you know what that means. The November midterm election is right around the corner. And man, is there going to be a lot on your ballot. There are seats up for grabs in many states. Governor seats, Senate seats are up for grabs. But there's also many ballot proposals, some having to do with voters' rights, some having to do with the sanctity of life, and so much more. So you need to be engaged. You need to be thinking about what it means for us and how we should uh, approach November 8th. But you also need to think about what our mindset should be November 9th, because not only is Tuesday on the way for us to vote, but Wednesday's on the way as well. Now, let me just say this before I introduce my guest, because he's going to help us to sort out a whole lot of things. But before I do that, let me remind you, mark your calendar. If you are a monthly partner, November 17th, we are going to reflect and dissect it all. Our next Zoom webinar for our monthly partners is coming up November 17th, immediately following the program. The topic is the Christian and politics. How should we engage civically post-election? We'll talk about what if your candidate that you hoped would get in office didn't? What if the proposal that you hoped would be defeated wasn't? What if we as Christians wake up and the world isn't ordered as we wish? We need to be prepared for that. But the opposite is true as well. What do we do if we did get the right candidate in, at least from our perspective, or the proposal we wanted did actually win? We need to be prepared for that. As always, we're going to take your questions. That's the best part of our Zoom webinar. If you have not yet registered and you are a monthly partner, Please do so today. Information is in your email, your inbox, with the uh, equipper encouragement that you recently received. Also, if you are not a monthly partner, you'd like to become one, it's pretty easy. Why don't you dial 888-644-4144? That's 888-644-4144, or go to equipradio.org. John Crane is my guest today. He's a respected educator. He's a cultural thought leader. He's also um, someone who lives at the intersection 
uh, Faith and Culture. He's the founder of the uh, Sagamore Leadership Initiative. He is also an elected official in the Indiana State Senate. He's been in that role since 2016, representing District 14. Uh, he is currently the Assistant Majority Caucus Chairman, and he's joining me today. Hey, how are you, brother? Hey, I'm doing great, Chris. It is so good to be on with you today. Funny story. Most of my listeners don't know. I'm probably oversharing, but when we had <laughs> breakfast together last, I walk into the restaurant, and your wife has on the exact same color <laughs> pants as yes, I exactly. do. This is what I get for living on the edge. But hey, I do you want you to know that I have a pair of manly colored pants on today, a nice forest <laughs> green. So you let your wife awesome. know, know that. <laughs> oh, brother, it is good to, to hear your voice. Obviously, you are living right now in the, in the thick of things. Uh, yes. And as Americans, we have uh, a big day coming up. Um, as right. you as you navigate political office, let's just start first with our obligation as Christians towards our brothers and sisters who are called to serve in political office. What do you see the church's responsibility uh, as being to those of you who are uh, also uh, uh, followers of Jesus who are called to serve in the public office? I- explain that to us. Uh, if yeah. you could. Yeah, well, I really appreciate it. And I, obviously, I always love talking to you and and uh, talking about how we can engage the culture together. And, and against the backdrop of this uh, upcoming national election, the subject that you're bringing up today is just so critically important. And I would say it's especially important for the church, because I think too often uh, we've had a, a tendency to uh, separate our kind of sacred life from our secular life. And as you know, as we've talked many times over the years, uh, the Christian worldview is all-encompassing. It isn't just a slice of reality. It is reality. You know, it isn't just one option on the coexist bumper sticker uh, that's on kind of an equal playing field with everything else. It transcends everything else. And in the work that uh, I've done, and I know you have too, and working with the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, I'm blessed to be on their board. And so we have these conversations all the time about yeah. how the comprehensive approach of the Christian worldview extends into everything. And so that means it also extends into politics. Well, I loved your opening comments, not only how important November the 8th is, but actually how important November the 9th is the day after the election. What do yes. we do in the lead up? But then what do we do after all the dust settles and we kind of look at the landscape and, and kind of weigh things. And to me, you know, we look at what's happening in politics. And of course, you know, we polit- political leaders often get a bad rap and some of it is well-deserved. Um, but there's, you don't, <laughs> you don't raise your kids to grow up and be a politician, right? It's like, <laughs> okay, well, good. <laughs> we'll right, pray for you. Right. And so, um, you have folks that feel called into that. I've I've felt called into that ever since I ran for office in 2016. And at least to this moment, God hasn't released me from that call. But Christians voice concern about what's happening, you know, with decisions that are being made. But at the same time, I would say that it is a mission field where there, there aren't as many Christians as that are involved as should be. 
right? Yes. So you have certain people that are called. And as I've told Christians and, and you know, Christian leaders and pastors, you have this public square, right? And you have the people and the problems in the public square. Well, the church, either by choice or by circumstance, finds itself at the periphery of that public square. Mm. And yet the people and the problems are still there. It isn't as if it's just desolate. And so what you end up having is good-hearted people who say, hey, there's, there's problems here. There's people that need to be served. And they step in to do that, but they don't always share the Christian worldview. And even government, as we know, you know how God designed government. Gov- government serves a very important and necessary function. But if those who share the Christian worldview and have that Christian narrative are not at the table, then it's not as if government's not going to provide any solutions at all. The government does have solutions, but they are always lesser solutions than the ultimate solution. You know, that's why we need Christians in this space. You know, there's, there's a couple of things you just said I think are powerful. Number one, the church needs to recognize that just as God calls uh, men and women to um, church, local church ministry like myself. He also calls men and women to other areas or arenas of mm-hmm. uh, society. He calls some to uh, the halls of government like yourself, some to the boardroom of business, some to the classroom in education. Um, obviously, the arts, you can go on and on and on. So I think the church has to have a vision for discipleship that is broader than just how do I disciple the next pastors of our church? That's That's important, but we have to recognize that God calls men and women like yourself to other areas. Secondly, what I love that you said is that government is going to happen. It's going to, politics are going to happen. The only question that we need to ask ourselves is, is it going to happen with us or without us? And, right. uh, and this is so That's important. Right. Now, here's what we're going to do. I, I received questions in from some of our listeners that I'm going to uh, uh, give to John. I'm going to I'm listen. No holes barred today. <laughs> I am good. going to give John some of the questions that you've uh, turned in. But I'm also going to take calls from you at 877-LIVE-675. That's 877-548-3675. So let me start with the first question. What This is from Pearl. Pearl's a listener. What should mm-hmm. we know about reading a ballot with discernment? Now, I think the heart of her question comes from the fact that she's pro-life, but so many of these proposals, referendums, addendums are written in a way that it's kind of hard to yes. know what exactly they're getting at. So yes. with about... Uh, maybe I'll give you two minutes for this one. Um, yeah. how, do, how do you recommend Pearl and others read with discernment so they can know what this proposal is really getting at and how to vote? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a fantastic question. When I first got elected, you know, you step into this arena, and I'm not a lawyer by trade, and so you're having to read a lot of this that's written almost in kind of legal language, and it is very difficult. In some cases, it's like reading a foreign language. So what I would tell to somebody like Pearl or other listeners who are kind of wondering the same thing is, number one, you have to start your process early. 
or earlier, right? Getting yourself informed, getting yourself educated on the issues. That is an ongoing thing. I will have friends and other people. I will get texts on election day. This happens every year. They are standing in the ballot box and they're texting me. Who should <laughs> I vote for? Guilty. Guilty. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Which is not bad. I'm glad they're voting. But, you know, start the education process earlier. Secondly, um, understand that there is a marketing war is too strong a word, but there is a marketing competition going on in every space and politics is no exception. And so you will have certain phrases and certain words and certain slogans that are really well crafted, that sound extremely appealing. And if you are not discerning and taking that next step of trying to say, okay, what is it that they're actually saying? Then sometimes we can be we can buy into something that is very well intentioned on the surface, but actually may uh, position us on the opposite side of what we believe. So we have to understand some of the talking points and things like that, right? Um, and then the third thing I would say is find somebody who may be even more uh, experienced in this area, who has some more uh, understanding and they understand kind of what the verbiage is and they understand the process. Talk to them. Look for cues and clues. For example, if you see an organization or a candidate or somebody who is taking a position that may on the surface, if you look at it, seem appealing, but that organization you know to be uh, not where you stand philosophically, then that's a cue, a cue and a clue that Nine, there might be a little bit of a, a, a hesitation there, a red flag I need to pay attention to. We've got to do our very best to prayerfully discern this, but we've also got to do the hard work of actually trying to get ourselves educated and informed. And it's, it's, a, it's a process. It's a process. Now, now I just think working together, we can do it. That's, that's really good, and I hope, Pearl, that helps you real quickly because we're up against a break. Would you give any other point of advice when you shift a conversation from researching, say, a proposal to researching a candidate, how, how do we, is there any additional advice you give yeah. to how to know whether or not this person is worthy of my vote? Yeah. So most candidates, if they're running a competent campaign, have a website. And so that'll give you a chance. If you go Google them, try to figure out where their website is, and then you can go down through there. And if they've, if they're like normal websites, you can get a sense of their background, their family, their experience where they stand on certain issues. And again, you're not going to get the whole picture. you got to do your best to try to piece the, the different parts of it together. But you can get a pretty good understanding of where they are. It does take some work. And frankly, uh, the vast majority of people don't go that far. But um, those that do will find that they're much more informed when they step into the ballot box. So, friends, here's the deal. Research now. You still have a couple of days to get ready, a few days to get ready, a couple of weeks. Also, begin now to go to candidates' websites. Don't just look at the soundbite commercials. Look at where they stand on the various positions. All right, we're going to take a break. Then we're going to take some of your calls live. The phone number, 877-LIVE-675 to join Equip with Chris Brooks. Today, we're talking about engaging in the political process with John Crane. Don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip.
If you're talking about a hot topic at home, at work, and with friends, then we want to talk about it too. In fact, every day on Equip, we're talking about current issues and how faith intersects with life. Today, I'm inviting you to become an Equipper. In this role, you'll give a monthly donation to support the ministry of Equip. And as an Equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. Become an Equipper right now by calling 888-644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So fired up today to have uh, our brother in Christ, John Crane with us. John is uh, a member of the Indiana State Senate. He's also the Assistant Majority Caucus Chairman. He serves on committees for education and career development, uh, family and children's services, homeland security, transportation, and much more. And today he is my guest to help us to think Christianly about civic engagement. And we're taking your questions. This is a opportunity. If you ever wanted to have a Christian political leader to sit across from with a cup of coffee to ask the questions of your heart uh, to now is your chance. We're taking your questions. We're not going to edit. We're not going to scream. We're just going to ask the tough questions so that we can get honest and Christ Center answers. The phone number. 877-LIVE-675, 877-548-3675. And just so you can know, my goal in all of this is to bring more light than heat. This is not an opportunity for us to simply continue on uh, creating controversy so that we can increase listenership. That's never been my MO. My goal is to sincerely serve you well by providing you with a Christian worldview perspective on the various areas of our lives so that we can bear faithful witness to a watching world. So if that's what you're interested in, call us today, 877-548-3675. All right, before I go to the phone lines, and folks are calling in from all over the country, before I go to the phone lines, this question, I have counseled over the last couple of weeks three um, families who are trying to handle political differences within their family uh, that feel like they're ripping the family apart. Mm-hmm. Most recently, John, I prayed with a grandma who says, my granddaughter has severed herself. She's in college. She has severed herself from the family because of her political views. She, in this case, views us to be too conservative uh, and uh, has chosen to cut off the family. So um, what is your advice on how to handle political differences in your family, in particular when it feels like, man, it's dividing us? Yeah, that's, a, that's such a huge question. And unfortunately, there's far too many families that are going through that. I'm reminded of an interview that I saw that was uh, the last interview that C.S. Lewis gave, and he described how he finally broke down to consider the merits of the Christian faith. And the way he put it was, God was saying to him, put down your guns and let's talk. Wow. <laughs> and wow. Uh, I always thought about that because we see that happening quite a bit, right? Um, we get on one side or the other of a political issue or a social issue or something. And um, 
I'm reminded of a, a conversation I had with a group of parents about a year ago. A lot of things were happening with schools and a lot of parents were getting fired up about what was going on. And a lot of these groups were popping up all over the country, you know, organically. And so in our area here, um, a group had invited me to come and speak to their kind of big launch event. And in anticipation of that, they wanted me to meet with their leadership. And so I'm sitting in a living room and we're talking. And the more we talk, the more I hear kind of this, you know, us versus them and we and they. And of course, in that perspective, we and us are always the good guys and they and them are always the bad guys. And it doesn't matter yeah. who you are or what side you're on. If you're part of the we and us, then you're automatically the good guy in your own mind. And so I kind of pushed back a little bit. I said, you know, you got to understand that the uh, opponent is not the enemy. And one person there immediately jumped forward. Well, then who's the enemy? Is it bad ideas are the enemy, right? Um, my good friend John Stone Street at the Colson Center, he often says that ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And the reason why it's so important for us to understand this is because in our culture today, even those of us who, you know, I come from a more conservative perspective, my faith is very important to me, we've bought in in our own different ways um, some of the 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 aspects of the cancel culture, right? We do it kind of in our own way. Yes. And instead, we as Christians should be the first to love and embrace, not necessarily agree with everything, but embrace the person as a human being who's made in the image of God, who, you know, God has called us to love them and where we can to try to help point them to the truth. We can control only what we can control. And so we have to speak the truth in love, as, as we're reminded of in Scripture. And at the end of the day, if we're doing our very best to be thoughtful and loving towards anyone that we interact with, whether they're a friend or a family member or coworker or whoever, at the end of the day, the other person is making some decisions as well. And so sometimes, you know, that can be very, very painful if they cut themselves off. And, you know, at some point, you got to kind of try to find that balance between how, how much do I kind of proactively keep engaging this and how much do I just kind of stay steady and make myself ready to embrace them when, when uh, they want to reconnect. And that's a difficult thing. It requires a lot of prayer, a lot of love and a lot of discernment. Well, you know, and, and I, and I want to just say this, cause I want to say, man, to everything you just said and add one thing. And that is, let's just say for, for purposes of argument that the person you are sitting across from the dinner table is absolutely wrong in their political opinions. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't that mean that we should see them as someone to be reached with the love of Jesus? Shouldn't That's we? Right. Shouldn't That's we right. then pursue their hearts like Christ pursued ours? I mm -hmm. think far too often this culture is training us to see the people who uh, are have a different opinion than us as someone to either be cut off or conquered uh -huh. instead of a person to be influenced with the love of Jesus. So that's right. appreciate the question. I appreciate your answer. Let's go to Carmel, Indiana. You ever been there, John? I we're have gonna... been there just yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to Chris, who's listening there. <laughs> hey, Chris, thank you for listening. What's your question for John Crane? Yeah, thank, thank you for taking my call. My question is, um, I do do a lot of reading and uh, primarily Christian material, but um, I 
Okay. I guess how do I, here's my question. How do people who aren't doing that too much, like weighing what they're hearing against a biblical perspective, I run into it again with Christians all the time. And here's, I'll just mm-hmm. give you one example. A girl, wonderful young mom at my church, um, posted something her daughter did at, at school. And I recognized it right away. Oh, hey, that's critical race theory. She didn't mm-hmm. see it at all. And and I responded, you know, on her page nicely, you know, but um, she ended up really pushing back. I feel like the, um, what's happening so much is it's like two truths and a lie. Mm-hmm. There, you know, it, it sounds good. You're kind of saying racism is bad. Yes, this is bad. And then it morphs. And, yeah. and then it twists into something that's incorrect. Yeah. And I tried really lovingly, because I, I agree with, you know, you're not getting anywhere if you're pushing at people. But I tried really lovingly to explain it to her. I even posted Tony Evans' book, Kingdom Race Theology, to her to say, hey, read this, you know. But it didn't go well. And this is the sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. So it was it's, it's very discouraging to, to, to see how things are really being twisted. So, so Chris, just so I can be clear, is the heart of your question on discernment for uh, a, 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 talking to this with friends or more, how do we know when a politician's telling us the truth or not? You, that, yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> you, All right, so, John, so, no, you did a great job. John, we're up against the break, but when we come back, that's going to be the question. Uh, that uh, I'm sure you've encountered before. How do we know if you guys are telling us the truth? And I love the way uh, our sister Chris from Carmel, Indiana, explained or described it. Sometimes it feels like two truths and a lie or a lie wrapped in truth. How do we discern those things? John Crane is helping us today. You got a tough question about Christians and politics? Call today. 877-LIVE-675. That's 877-548-3675. Stick and stay. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Make plans to be with me for the next Equipper Zoom webinar. Join me on Thursday, November 17th, right after the program. We'll be addressing the topic, the Christian and politics. I'll share ways that we can faithfully navigate the political process and keep our hearts aligned with God's purpose for this world. This webinar is a perk of being part of our team of equippers, our monthly partners. So equippers, check your inbox for an email from me with registration details for this free interactive meeting. Not an equipper and want to attend? Become a monthly partner by calling 888-644-4144 or online at equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Want to say thank you, thank you, and thank you to our friends and partners who support us each and every day. We're here because of God's grace and your generosity. It means so much. So thank you for standing with us prayerfully and financially. Big shout out to Linda in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Susan in Brook Park, Ohio. Thank you so very much. Joseph, a new supporter in Delray Beach, Florida. Maybe we've been a blessing to you. Would you stand with us today? Dial the number 888-644-4144. That's 
4144. Before we went to break, uh, Chris from Carmel, Indiana, asked a great question. We're going to answer that, and then we're going to go uh, to our next caller. John Crane is my guest today. He is a part of the Indiana State Senate. He was elected in 2016. But I like to say, even more importantly, he's a brother in Christ. He founded the Sagamore Leadership Institute. That was a leadership development nonprofit organization based in Indianapolis, whose uh, mission it was to equip next generation leaders to influence the culture for good. I love that about his heart. He's here to answer our questions. So, John, the question was, how do you know whether or not um, what you're hearing the politicians say in the debate on a commercial, even on their website, is true and actually what they'll do if they get into office? Yeah, Chris's question is a great one, and it's a common one that uh, is asked all the time. Um, I'm glad that she's even asking the question because <laughs> a lot of people's automatic response is they're lying. They're all lying to us, so I'm not paying attention anymore. And then folks disengage. So the fact that she's asking the question is a good sign. It's keeping us engaged on this. And it's a, a fundamental question because really uh, truth is the commodity that we need to know if we're going to try to make an informed decision uh, about whoever it is that might be running for office. And that's one of the things that's always so tough during the heat of the election season is we're seeing all the commercials start, you know, on TV and all the mud that's being slung around and everything. And and too often, I think there's um, enough truth in certain things, but maybe the whole picture hasn't been presented and all that. So one of the biggest things that I would say, and it's really no different, uh, whether we're talking about politics or anything else, is in order for us to spot the lie, we need to know the truth. And that starts with understanding the Christian worldview. I used to have a friend uh, that attended our church many, many years ago who worked for the Secret Service. And of course, they are part of the Treasury Department. And so they deal with counterfeit money. And uh, one of the things that he shared with me one time is that in order to spot the counterfeit, they don't go around studying all the counterfeit options that are out there. They spend all their time studying the original so that as soon as they see something that doesn't fit with that, it begins to kind of send up a red flag and they can pay more attention. And I think it's the same thing with different ideas or different messages that come through. The better that we understand truth, the better that we understand God's way of looking at the world, that will help us then be informed on where God might have us stand on certain issues. And therefore then, when aspiring candidates present their messaging to us, we can begin to see how they align with what we know to be true. Obviously, that takes a lot of work, but that's also where I think the church has a wonderful opportunity to continue to be on the front lines of discipleship because, you know, folks are being discipled every day. Kids are being discipled every day. The question is, are they being discipled in Christian truth or are they being discipled in other ideas that the world presents? So that would be the one thing that I would encourage. And then the other is simply just continue to be discerning. Um, you know, I don't want to go through life and become so cynical. It would be easy for me in politics to be just so cynical that I don't take anybody at face value right out of the gate. My posture is I will take you seriously and take you at face value until, unless or until you give me a reason to begin to question the truth of what you're saying. And so I think we need to start there, and, but continue to have eyes of discernment. 
Yeah, I think that's a huge thing. And, and you know, this is also a process that has to be undergirded by much prayer, isn't it? Uh, yes, these that's are, exactly th- right. These are important. And I hope that, Chris, that answers your questions. If you got more, just stand on the roadside and wait till John Crane comes riding down the street <laughs> in Carmel, Indiana, and you stop him and ask him a question. Appreciate you, Chris. Let's go to Charles in Florida. Hey, Charles. Uh, thank you so much, first off, for listening. What's your question for John? Yeah, I just want to know why you guys think it's so important to vote when voting has done nothing for this country in the last 30 years. All right, great question. I appreciate it. And, again, I don't think that our brother uh, Charles is uh, is alone in the way that he feels. Yeah, and that's I right. wanna I want to honor uh, the uh, emotion of what he said. I, I would simply right. say that um, I think that to say that voting has done nothing uh, in 30 years is uh, is maybe an extreme statement. Certainly, I recognize that no vote that we cast will undo the fall of humanity, Genesis 3. We're still going to be living in a sinful, fallen world. And there's so much uh, reality to that. But on the other hand, I love what Dr. King uh, said uh, before he passed away. He said, a law may not be able to make you love me. In other words, change your heart. But it can stop you from lynching me. In other words, we can prevent evil in some areas. You look at the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You look at the protection of voters' rights in areas uh, you look at what's happened in many places uh, concerning uh, local issues. Um, I think there's much to be said about that and that uh, voting has made a difference. Um, certainly it's impacted uh, uh, many areas. We look at what's happening now with uh, public education, whether good or bad, voting's impacted that. What's happening now with student loan decisions? What's happening with the economy? What's happening with foreign affairs? There is some cyclical frustrations. I'm sure he can see commonalities and say, man, this was happening when Democrats and Republicans were in office. And to that, I sympathize. But yet, in a, in a very real sense, uh, there is, there is uh, real outcomes that come when we vote. John, how would you respond? To our brother yeah, Charles's I, I question. I totally I agree with you and I, I completely sympathize with the sentiment that is expressed there. There's a lot of frustration. There are many times when I feel like kind of throwing up your hands and going, What good are we doing here? You know. But I'm reminded of uh, one of the greatest experiences that I had just earlier this year with a group that came to the state house. It was a group of folks that were part of an adult education program here on the west side of Indianapolis. They had come from all over the world, and they had come to the United States. They were working on trying to get to know to, to learn English better, to get job skills, to get education, and they were part of a citizenship class. And so I asked the, the lady that was the, the head of the school, have you ever invited them to come down to the state house and see this? And so we brought them to the state capitol. There was a dozen of them, and, and they were from countries like Haiti and the Middle East and South America all kinds of places, Africa. And when they came in and were standing in the rotunda, they are all pulling their phones out and they're taking pictures and videos like kids at Disney World. It was just unbelievable. So I give them the nickel tour and I take them upstairs 
we went to the floor of the Senate and then we went upstairs to where the gallery is, where the public can sit. And I told this group, I said, you know, uh, there's a there's space here and there's a corresponding space in the House of Representatives across the way there. And I said, these are the two most important spaces in this entire building, because this is where the citizen can come and observe and engage with their elected officials. And I kid you not, they did not believe me. They didn't actually believe it. Because from the countries where they live, the thought that you could even come to the Capitol building, let alone have any kind of meaningful interaction with your government official, I mean, that was such a foreign concept that I had to reassure them two or three times, like, yes, you actually can. And it was unbelievable. I said, that's the beauty of America. I tell people all the time, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing that we actually have an immigration problem. And I don't mean that there aren't things that we need to solve with our immigration issues. I'm saying that as long as we have an immigration problem, that means there's still enough about the United States of America that would cause people to sacrifice life, life and limb to get here. If we cease to have an immigration problem, that means that we have descended to a certain level where the folks that would normally try to cross our borders go, man, it's not even any better than where I'm coming from, you know. And our system is built on the assumption, our founders had the assumption, that if the people are going to be kind of the sovereign, if we are kind of a bottom-up system versus a top-down system, then the assumption is that we are going to be informed and engaged on the issues and the affairs of our day. And unfortunately, too many citizens have decided, you know what, it's not worth it. And of course, then that creates this perpetuating cycle that actually contributes to the down, downward slide that many yeah. of us feel. So we've got to stay engaged in this process because we're so privileged to live here. Now, where I think that every politician, including yourself and many others, uh, need to hear Charles's frustration is when we have issues that we all know are issues. You bring up immigration, for example, uh, issues that seem to have been persistent for decades and because of the political gridlock around it, we're not seeing either a perception of progress at all, or at least we're only seeing minimal progress. We need to know that that frustrates many voters, many citizens. It frustrates, in my opinion, an entire generation. And we could go down the list from not only immigration, but to guns and issues uh, pertaining to education and so much more. So I do think that it's important that either we tell the story better of the progress we are making, or we have to find a way to build bridges that can lead to progress. Because if we don't, I fear that there will be an entire generation who will join in with Charles's frustrations as he so um, appropriately uh, verbalized uh, and say, why bother? Politics why bother? So I hope that those who are in political office hear that loud and clear. All right, listen, we got to take our final break of the day. But when we come back, I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Crane here a tough question. And that is, why should he or any other politician 
work with those across the aisle from them. Why is it important for us to be in dialogue, and in particular, folks like him in elected office, with those who clearly are on different sides of the issue? Should we work with them at all, or should they be public enemy number one? Listen, I hope that this is helpful for you. Uh, We're not going to always agree, but I promise you, we're going to always try to land this plane in the heart of the gospel. So you stick and stay. Don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Hey there, friends. I want to recommend a book about overcoming real-life struggles that hurt us and our marriages. It's called Loving Your Spouse When You Feel Like Walking Away by Dr. Gary Chapman. This book will help you to find personal and marital healing. It's great to read by yourself, as a couple, or even in a small group. Ask for your copy when you support Equip with a gift of any amount this month. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Thanks for those of you who are listening. Hey, don't forget to post this on your social media pages. This is a great conversation, and I think it'll be helpful for your friends, neighbors, and those in your network. So make sure you post. Make sure you share. Go to our Facebook page. Find out more. Our Twitter page. Find out more about how to interact with us on social media. We're taking your questions there as well. And even though they only give me an hour a day to have these conversations on air, we can keep the conversation going on social media 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Facebook and Twitter at Equip Radio. John Crane is my guest today. John, you are put in many moments, situations where you have to work with folks from from the opposite side of the aisle, if you will, the other political party, if you will. Um, why do you do that? And why do you think that's important to do? Well, that's a great question, and and we do it because we're, this is this is the service. It's public service, right? And when we think about the people that we have been elected to represent, uh, certainly there's a certain segment of that population that voted us into office. But as I shared with a group uh, up in Lafayette, Indiana, last night. Um, if you were to calculate the number of people who didn't vote in the 2020 election and then those that didn't vote for me, uh, 67% of the people that I represent didn't cast a vote for me. And so I still represent all of those people. And that is, that's the challenge. How do you do that? Uh, I was at a, a political breakfast earlier this spring before one of our, uh, before the primary, and they had three candidates that were up there and they were, giving the usual speeches and talking about, you know, we need to do this and we need to do that. And I'm going to make sure that we have more freedom and I'm going to make sure we do all these things. And I leaned over to my friend who was sitting next to me and I said, that's a, that's a great speech. I gave that same speech before I got elected. Um, I used to think I had all the answers uh, when it came to politics. And then I got elected to office and you realize (laughs) that the actual application of that gets very challenging. And so I told my friend, I said, if I had the opportunity to sit down with that candidate or any other candidate, my answer would be, hey, I I love what I'm hearing. Let me ask you a couple questions. If you're going to do all these things, how? How are you going to do them? And the next question is, 
how well would you say you work with people? Because that's what the job is. We do not live in a system where I can step in as an elected official and take on kind of the the same role of a, a monarch or somebody who just kind of waves the magic wand and everybody does what I say. We are a democratic republic. Uh, we are steeped in the principles to, of democracy, which means that a majority of people weigh in and then we make decisions. And so what that comes down to on a personal level is building those personal relationships, not only with fellow colleagues uh, who they may even be in my party, but we don't look at the same things the same way or building relationships with people across the aisle so that we can work together. One of the people that uh, serves in the Democrat uh, caucus in the Senate is uh, the first he got elected in 2018 and was the first openly gay um, legislator in our in our state's history. And he and I have a very good personal and working relationship together. But I've tried to be very intentional about that. He's been intentional with me and we've been able to get some good things done. That same principle applies to all of us in all the relationships that we have. We have to try to figure out, okay, uh, like we said earlier, first of all, I'm not going to cancel you. Secondly, I'm going to try to lovingly listen. And then third, begin to identify where do we have common ground? Mm. And I have discovered in my life and in this role in politics that if I sit down and truly listen, I begin to realize, wait a second, I think we probably generally agree on much more than we might disagree on. It's just that we hardly get that far because we put up too many walls. So if we can kind of be proactive and in some cases kind of uh, reach out across the aisle, so to speak, in our personal and public relationships, then I think we can really work together because at the end of the day, yes, you know, we all do generally want the same thing, right? We want freedom. We want security. We want a good future for our kids. We want religious freedom, you know, all those things that uh, we all care about, but we've got to work together to do it. John, I, I hope that folks that are listening know that this conversation is not just meant to give you guidance for up to Tuesday, November 8th, and then hey, uh, live by a different set of rules. I hope, particularly the last question you answered, that folks might keep a record of this conversation. Listen on a Wednesday, November 9th, because the day after we wake up, some of our candidates will be in, some won't. Some of the proposals we hope would pass will, and some won't. We have to be ready and to answer the question, how now shall we live in this moment? And ultimately pointing people to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. John, you're off the hot seat. Thank you, brother. (laughs) My pleasure. I always love it. Look forward to talking with you again, Chris. Friends, I hope this conversation was a blessing. Find out more at equipradio.org. Until we're together again next time, as always remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.
Hey there, friends. Chris Brooks here. You know, I regularly hear from parents who are struggling to know how do they respond when their child embraces a new gender. Well, Laura Smalls was that child. She believed the lies and the false promises of freedom until she discovered true freedom in Christ. She's going to share her story, and we're going to take your questions on the next edition of Equip. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on the Moody Radio app or equipradio.org.